0: Hello and welcome to Living the Writing Life podcast. Today I have as my guest, Patricia Aberback She's a native Clevelander. So basically, she's not that far from me. We're sort of neighbors. Um, she's also the former director of the Chautauqua Writers Center in Chautauqua, New York. And I gather you have some terrific new information about your second novel. Uh, you just got some good information from two different awards that you've entered it in. So why don't, you, why don't you lead off with that? Because I think that's always good news.
1: Oh, thank you, Nancy. That is uh, a very nice way to start. Yes, just within uh, the past uh, week, really, I found out that Resurrecting Rain My second novel that was just uh, released a couple months ago is a finalist for Chanticleer's Somerset Award for Contemporary and Literary Fiction. And it is so far a semi finalist for the Florida Writers Association Royal Palm Literary Award, which I know you also have (laughs) won.
0: Well that is absolutely wonderful news. I know it's like so exciting when you get those emails cuz it's like wow I made it that far so that is um that is absolutely terrific news. I'm I'm so glad.
1: Yeah, well and it's still in the running. It could go further but you don't know. So yeah, it's just yeah. the
0: fun it's the fun part waiting to to find out. Well, like buying sure- a lottery ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I certainly hope that you continue to advance on to the next level. So, Thank you. Um, you know, I, I thought this would be kind of interesting to have a conversation with you because um, you, your poetry chapbook, which preceded your two novels, mm-hmm. um, you know, that and that one was also an award winner, I would like to mention. Um, but, but I just thought it was kind of interesting not only that you write in, in two different genres, but also to talk a little bit about the intersection of poetry and prose and how writing in one genre can actually benefit. You know, the, the, the what you hear a lot of times from people in the business is find a genre and stick with it it's better for marketing. Okay. That way you have the same identity. You are a woman's novelist or you're a, you're a a poet or whatever. Um, You didn't do that. Clearly I didn't do that either. So, you know, I, I think sometimes it's good to stretch ourselves. You know, it may may be a little challenging from a marketing perspective, Mm -hmm. but I do think that it is good sometimes to stretch yourself a little bit. So, um, what I'm going to do is I, I just want to briefly talk about the the poetry chapbook Missing Persons. Why, why don't you tell me a little bit about what that's what that uh, collection of poetry? What is the theme of it, or or what does it explore? That's um,
1: the whole story about that chapbook is is interesting. It's a good story. Uh, I started off uh, writing almost nothing but poetry, primarily because I didn't think I had the attention span to stick with anything much longer than a poem, and because I always loved poetry since I was, you know, a little kid reading nursery rhymes. Uh, So I spent uh, by far the greatest part of my writing, in parentheses, career uh, writing poetry, and I had accumulated a a nice little pile of it. A friend of mine uh, who I really only knew on the internet, as she was through internet writing groups, asked all of her poet friends to uh, submit work to a contest. It was an international contest um, located or centered in London. And the reason she wanted us all to enter was because the entrance fee went to support cold weather shelters, or in other words, homeless shelters in London that year. And so I put together a few poems and sent them out, thinking I was making a small donation to support homeless people in London. And I didn't give it another thought (laughs) until... Uh, lo and behold, I get an email saying not that I'm a semi-finalist or a finalist, but that I am the winner of this international poetry contest. And oh, uh, I, went to, I went to London. Wow. <laughs> they, did, they, they did not pay for my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pick up the tab for that. But it was well worth it. I had a wonderful time. And uh I you know read my poems and got my award and had had a lovely time and then the publisher who put together this chapbook um, which is called Missing Persons uh submitted it to um some uh, uh contests and it was uh picked up by uh, the Times of London literary supplement and listed as one of the uh 19 best short collections of that year that is
0: fantastic uh,
1: yeah it it was such an unlikely way to to get your foot in the door of poetry it it was really uh, as I said just a really odd and wonderful story (laughs) I
0: don't know anyone else who who fell into it
1: by accident that way
0: And sometimes those are the best mm-hmm. things, you know, when you yeah. sometimes you could be so focused on having a specific mm-hmm. outcome. And then if it doesn't happen, you're so frustrated. And then these other serendipitous events happen. And you're mm-hmm. like, Oh, look, that, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty cool. You know, D- yeah. didn't require much except my own creativity. That yeah. was well and, and they put only one cover of all those 19
1: chapbooks which they call poetry pamphlets in London uh-huh. and they, they only put one on the uh, in the newspaper and so it looked as though this whole big article was just about me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's okay you know no, it, good publicity it was okay
1: so missing persons was um, you know, uh, it was about people I missed. It was really uh, a collection of poetry uh, about um, people who had been in my life and who were now by and large missing um, through one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so uh, while I think there is a significant humor in the uh, a lot of the poems they uh, came from a a very deep place in my heart Mm
0: -hmm. and um, it definitely sounds like something uh, a topic that a lot of people could relate to because you know we especially now I mean we lose people from death we lose them from divorce we lose them because relationships break down so you know there's so many ways or sometimes you just lose them because they sort of you drift away yeah they sort of run run the their lifespan you know you might have somebody that's been a dear friend for years and years and then just gradually you two just aren't on the same wavelength it's not that anything bad happened you just it's Uh, you lose touch so right um, yeah, I mean, it—it really—it sounds like a, a fascinating, a fascinating book to read, especially now. I'm sure a lot of people would find find a lot of commonality in in what you're what you're talking about. So you went from doing that to writing novels. How how did you make that segue?
1: Well, the same lady who I only knew on the internet. <laughs> I have since met her when I went to England, uh, but and I, I continue to see her regularly on the Internet. Um, the same woman was leading a workshop on the Internet, online, and I um, managed to put together a whole short story, <laughs> or, and uh, I presented it to the workshop, and afterwards she... Uh, kind of spoke to me privately and she said you know that's really not a a short story that's the beginning of a novel Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she she insisted that I write this novel and I was you know kicking and protesting and saying no no I do not write novels I can't do that (laughs) that's too hard And she said, No, you're going to write that novel. And by golly, I wrote that novel. And uh, the support I had from that online uh, workshop was really instrumental in my sticking with it. Because, you know, every couple weeks, it was my turn to present pages again. And by God, I'd better have those pages. And I (laughs) did. Until lo and behold, I had a whole novel. Yeah that's the uh, one
0: called Painting Bridges, right? That's the
1: one called Painting Bridges. And uh, it's uh, it's a pretty good novel. I'm I'm proud of it. And, uh, and it's gotten shouldn't. a lot of a lot of, you know, nice reviews and I've been happy about that. What's and the uh, that, what's the what's like the story about it? What what is oh, Painting Before Bridges? Yeah. It's uh, um it's the story of a young woman who uh, was raised uh, in a, a middle-class suburban, uh, kind of upper-middle-class suburban uh, home. Uh, but against her parents' wishes, marries uh, a, a country guy and um, who she falls in love with and who's a very good guy. And she goes off and lives with him in a, a rural environment that her parents do not understand. And she has a little baby, and she's very happy. Um, until tragedy strikes, and uh, she loses her husband and her baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes into a very deep depression. And the, the book is really the story of how she's brought back from this very deep depression where she isolates herself and becomes something of a hermit through the uh, intervention of a little... Uh, deaf child who has no language neither oral language or sign language um, and uh, it uh, it involves some uh, historical issues in deaf education uh, but it's not a polemic it's really the story of this woman's recovery from grief mm-hmm. and, and through the intercession of, of this little girl
0: oh my goodness it that sounds mm-hmm. fascinating. And then uh, your current one, Resurrecting Rain, the one that is in the running for two different competitions. So tell us about that one. And that is the
1: story of a woman named Dina, who was born on a hippie commune in, uh, just outside of Santa Fe around 1970. And she was just not a hippie. she uh, was born to a a hippie lesbian mom who was disowned by her own mother and who was living a very counterculture life and all Dina wanted was to be normal Uh she wanted normal clothes a normal a normal house and a normal mother and uh, when she's 14 her grandmother who um, is an Orthodox Jewish woman, uh, sends her a, uh, a plane ticket and a couple hundred dollars, and uh, Dina runs away, goes to live with her grandmother. But the deal is she only gets this, you know, four poster bed and uh, the nice, you know, clothes from the mall, if she agrees to sit Shiva for her own mother, which is to go through the Jewish ritual for the dead. And and, um, it was a a terrible cost to pay. Hmm. But uh, she agrees. And the book really is the the repercussions of that decision. Mm -hmm. She has spent her entire life building up Uh, being normal. (laughs) She spends her whole life uh, having a normal job and marrying this nice normal guy and having nice normal children. She's not prepared for the time when the rug gets pulled out from under that nice normal life and uh, she has to confront uh, bigger issues and uh, and the people she left behind. And that's
0: that's the story. It sounds absolutely fascinating, just incredible. I'm I, well convoluted and I mean you can kind of identify, you know, what teenager hasn't said, I wish I had another set of parents, but in this case it certainly sounds like it's gone much deeper than that. So in in the course of writing the novels, um what mm-hmm. In, in terms of the creative process, did you notice that maybe your experience writing poetry kind of influenced the rhythm like you know a lot of times when i 'm writing, I will consciously choose words or or choose phrasings because almost for the musicality of it. Because Absolutely. When you, yeah, when you read it out loud, it's like, no, it sounds flat right there. I need, I need a word with the accent on the second syllable. I need a three-syllable word, not a two-syllable. Mm-hmm. Something doesn't sound right. And certainly when you're doing poetry, it's definitely, I, I would think, a, a more musical kind of writing. So do you think that as you were working on your novels, your your background in writing poetry, did that, were you aware of that coming into play?
1: Every minute, uh, just as you were saying, uh, the uh, the rhythm and meter of every sentence uh, is something that I'm acutely aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes me crazy if, you know, it's prose, but I, I kind of want every sentence to scan <laughs> mm-hmm. as though I was writing a poem. Uh, you're aware of, uh, you know, the alliterations and a, a much more... Con- Poet writing poetry makes you much more conscious of word choices, and um, the uh, impact of one one verb over another. That mm-hmm. uh, this, um, and I think maybe more than anything, what poetry teaches you is concision. It teaches you. Um, to focus and to not say what isn't important, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I think I learned how to leave words out, to leave sentences out more uh, as much or more than I learned what to put in mm-hmm. um, because uh, poetry is condensed language, and Uh, i think the the more it is condensed the the richer and and deeper it is
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: that's what i learned from poetry
0: yeah and and i can see where that would be the case just just from a uh purely technical standpoint writing poetry is so different from writing a novel i mean with a novel you have characters you have plot you have to follow you know the 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 whole theme of well i suppose they do share in terms of having a theme but it is so different i i would think for instance essay writing would be closer to poetry writing but you know because they're both coming from inside of you but then when you're writing fiction especially novels you have to have very distinct characters you know they can't all sound like you for one thing and they can't sound like each other so um because now had you written any short stories or any fiction prior to writing those two novels
1: i had um not a lot mostly uh-huh. i wrote poetry i'd written you know a few short stories i'd written a couple articles that uh, were published uh, actually in um uh, a, a national magazine called Lilith it's a feminist jewish magazine that's been around uh since uh oh i don't know it's 40 50 years old it's uh hmm. it's well established old old magazine now for <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh the, so i had written for them um
0: what was, so when you made that transition really from writing poetry to writing something as long as a novel, what was like, what was, first of all, what was the word count on those two? I mean, are we talking like seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 words somewhere in there, do you think?
1: No. Once I got going, I kept going. Okay. And uh, there, each novel was uh, a little over a hundred thousand and then in wow. uh, My, uh, you know, second and third drafts, I had to cut it back to, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) 99,000 so that uh, it would meet criteria for a lot of publishers.
0: Right. What was um, what were some of the challenges you faced in technical challenges, writing challenges in in doing the novel plotting or characters? Plotting. 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 Okay. Plotting.
1: I knew my characters, uh, and I knew my settings. I, uh, especially with the first novel, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was in love with uh, the the little community. I was uh, kind of influenced in some ways by uh, Richard Russo. I don't mm-hmm. know. He's won a Pulitzer for years ago. I uh, for. Um, one of my favorite books called Empire Falls, and he's written uh, quite a number of other wonderful novels. He's still working. He's still out there. And uh, Empire Falls was uh, a, um, a community, and it was there. You had the sense that the entire community and all the people in that community were in that book, and that um, the community itself was uh a major character and I wanted to bring that to uh to my novel. Mm-hmm. And uh that was uh so I I knew my setting and I knew my characters, but I'm was not did not know my plot. I'm a <laughs> pants I'm a pantser.
0: So. Oh, yeah. welcome to the group, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I know there's, there's some authors that absolutely, they just completely lay it out, start to finish. And I always think to myself, well, heck, if I, if I have all that detail and I know all that in advance, what fun is the writing of it? You know, I,
1: I think that's a good technique if you do certain types of genre writing, like if you're writing a mystery novel, or mm-hmm. especially if you write a lot of mystery novels. Uh, and you can follow your little formula in your little outline and just fill in the in the blanks and when you're done you've got a book Uh but if you're doing more literary work I don't know any real literary authors who who write from outlines they sometimes try but Uh it's hard
0: yeah because
1: yeah because it's more organic and uh the characters, I think to a much greater extent, have their own their own lives and their own voices, and you've got to follow them.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and yeah. you know, sometimes things will occur that you didn't even plan, but like you said, it's very organic. And if you try to say, no, no, I didn't plan for that, then you run yeah. into a problem, you know. Just right. out of curiosity, in either one of the two novels, does poetry itself come into it Is anybody in your novel reading, writing, poetry?
1: In the first novel, uh, yes. Hmm. Uh, It it does. Uh, A couple times uh, my protagonist uh, quotes something she's read. Mm -hmm. Nothing at at length that isn't a a major motif or a a major theme, but it just sort of slipped in (laughs) because that's how I think. And that's, you know, the associations I have. Uh, What nobody else in the world except me would know is that there is a a long paragraph in the first novel, which is actually a rendition, a version of a poem that I had written.
0: Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I took the poem and I put it back into prose and stuck it in the novel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like a plan. So yeah. what are you working on now? Fiction, poetry, both?
1: Well, I always uh, am writing a, a few poems. It's uh, But now it's more like a guilty pleasure. I, when I'm writing, I feel like I ought to be working on my novel. And <laughs> I've got a third novel that I'm about uh, oh, two-thirds of the way through with. Awesome. And uh, I'm, I'm really kind of excited about it. But I, again i 'm uh, not quite sure what 's going to happen next mm-hmm. i know how I know how it ends, mm-hmm. but I am not at all sure how we 're getting there <laughs>
0: <laughs> it 's one of those fun little road trips that that you 're on, so to speak yeah yeah now I, you know i'm i 'm curious too, because obviously you 're Jewish. How does that factor into or did it factor into? Your novels at all? Um, your Jewish. It does.
1: It does. Um, the first novel, uh, "Painting Bridges," uh, I very deliberately did not make my characters Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are all white Anglo-Saxon Protestant characters to the best of my ability Uh (laughs) Uh, forgive me for cultural appropriation (laughs) (laughs) but um, the reason was that it takes place in 1976 and I knew that if I had Jewish characters in 1976 that was there was no way I could leave the Holocaust out of it. Oh, it was okay. too—it was too close, and I did not want to write a Holocaust novel. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something else, and yet I couldn't ignore the Holocaust. Um, okay. It just overwhelms the Jewish experience, even the American Jewish experience,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you know, a, a, at least a generation, maybe two. Mm-hmm. The second novel, um I succumbed and my character is Jewish, and I do explore what the Holocaust this it takes place in uh like twenty years after the first novel. Mm-hmm. Uh it takes place in the early nineties. And no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting mixed up with my third novel the the um the second novel resurrecting rain uh is uh, uh largely contemporary mm-hmm. and so we're now more than a a good generation removed from the holocaust, and mm-hmm. so I explore what what that experience means to third generation uh families mm-hmm. and there's still an impact there's still uh, an effect that can't be denied that right. echoes through um, her gra- the character's grandmother, her mother, herself, and her daughter.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we have um, generations of women uh, who were born anywhere from uh, like 1900 all the way through to 19... Um, 19- in, say
0: nineteen
1: ninety mhm so that's a almost a hundred year span of generations there right and, well it, the uh, the holocaust is uh very much a a sub a sub theme or subtext of this book and yet it, but it's it's present the mm-hmm. way it's a subtext that's always present i think in the lives of most uh most Jews, including American Jews, who mm-hmm. uh, have not had the direct experience of of Auschwitz or Treblinka, but who have um, yet resonate; it's, the, those experiences still resonate in our in our lives and in our
0: um, like in your blood, so to speak. Yeah,
1: it just it's yeah. it's, it's it's always
0: there hmm absolutely why well, I, I I just um you know I, I did find it like I said I found it really interesting that you do write into what I would consider you know two totally different types of writing and yet at the same time mm-hmm. it is um, that imagination because both poetry and and fiction call for a certain amount of you know imagination and awareness and you know even if you have whether you plot or not there's there's still that bit of imaginative freedom you know and and Mm -hmm. it of course it's the same thing with the poetry that it sort of takes you takes you off you you think you're writing and i don't know if it was your it's your experience but you know you think you're writing about one thing and then by the time you finish that piece of poetry it's like oh this is what this is really what it's about you know and um you know i i think it 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 does in a way also by writing in two totally different ones it stretches our creativity you know which you know i've been talking to a lot of writers and with what's going on with the pandemic some writers are finding they are more productive now. They, they almost use their writing as a way to block out what's happening. I've talked to other writers who are saying, I can't seem to focus on my writing because I know what's going on out there. And, and it, it's, just, it's just intruding so much. So from that standpoint, what has been the impact On your creativity of COVID, how has that affected you one way or the other?
1: Well, I'm spending more time at my computer, which is uh, productive because that's always an issue is uh, staying focused and not uh, running off because you've got to go do something or see someone. Mm
0: -hmm. And now
1: there's nowhere to go and no one to see, (laughs) nothing to do. So I guess I'll write a book. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'll finish my novel mm-hmm. so it's been good in that sense um, I have been personally very fortunate in that while we're all but you know under quarantine for the, for, we've uh, stayed very kept our heads very low mm-hmm. for the last several months um, I'm in a comfortable house Uh, My husband has uh, worked from home for the last 20 years, so that's, he's still working from home. I work from home, so our incomes have not been affected. Uh, We've just, we've been very fortunate that way, and um, just to, to make it sweeter, my daughter lives down, you know, a down the street about one mile from us and very early on we declared ourselves one household Uh, so we have a had this little bubble where we see each other I'll have dinner with her this evening and I'll see my one-year-old grandson so unlike most people I've really escaped the bad stuff we haven't been sick we haven't lost our income I still get to see my daughter Mm -hmm. I haven't had a she finally cut my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a haircut. I haven't had a manicure. I haven't gone to the dentist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't done any of those things. But I have been writing. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: and, uh, and I still go to my writer's workshops because those were always online also. Oh, and, okay. and, the, and the one writer's workshop that I uh, used to participate in when I was in Florida went uh onto Zoom. So okay. we're still meeting. And uh,
0: My life's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no complaints. It, yeah, it's um it's you know, we have to find ways to make it work. You know, um, you you can't I think especially if you've got the create the creativity and the creative gift, you almost have to because it is it's a way to keep ourselves maybe sane, keep ourselves emotionally healthy. I mean, I, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't writing because I live here alone. So it would be like, oh, I would be looking at the four walls. And- but when you're, yeah, And when you're writing, first you've got your
1: characters who you interact with. Mm-hmm. But beyond that when you're writing, you also are thinking in terms of readers, and mm-hmm. that the writing is a form of communication with other human beings
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh well the uh, response time is kind of slow between <laughs> when you say what you say and they and you get to some feedback, you do anticipate it you are talking with people yeah, yeah. you are you know hoping to. To communicate, that eventually you'll hear something back. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and I think too, especially especially when you're working on books, mm-hmm. that is, you know, you use the word hoping. It mm-hmm. it is an act of hope because we believe, or I, I don't know, maybe even something stronger than hope. It, it's like, okay, we are working on this because we believe that we will be here to see it come to fruition. We believe there will be a day when we can share it with people. You know, it's, it's, right. a belief, it's a belief in the future, which can be very hard to come by right now when, you know, when you listen to the numbers and you watch the colors change from green to yellow to red to, oh boy, that's a bad bad shade of red um yeah we're moving
1: we're moving toward purple here yeah
0: so it's um you know i i think that is a way of saying there will be a tomorrow that we will we will make it through this and um you know there will be tomorrow and and in the meantime we will have something to show for what what transpired during this time whether or not writing about what is happening or writing about something completely different but we will have something to show for it you know? right.
1: a ton of people are writing about the experience itself mm-hmm. um but i think uh to a large extent those are probably people unlike me who uh are being changed and and really challenged by this experience
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh i've as i said i've been very fortunate that i'm kind of a, a, aware of it but it's in ridiculous small ways I don't get to go out to lunch you know yeah it's not not (laughs) tragic Uh, it's not like you know my grandmother died and I couldn't be with her right right yeah that that yeah it's an entirely different experience
0: exactly Well, this has really been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you giving me some time and being on the podcast. And, um, you know, I wish you the best of luck with those two competitions. And um, hopefully you will be, you will hit first place, if not first place. The important thing is you've made it this far and you've had so many people now read it. So, um, you know, that, that is already a good starting point. and That's
1: the ultimate goal for me, really, is just uh, to have as many people as possible read the book. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, and good luck on the one that you're working on. So, Thank you. Um, and the thanks, same to you on your work. Oh, well, yeah. always, Always we're working, always we're hoping. And, you know, if something doesn't turn out, that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. We'll just keep plugging away. But, um, but anyways, thank you so much for being on the thank podcast. And, and thank uh, you for
1: inviting me. It was a lot of fun.
0: All right. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.